1: You know, in this modern day and age, attention spans are shorter. If we want to engage with the youth population, which is really important for tennis moving forward, we do need to look at shortening matches. I said this, you know, to Andy Murray in the locker room. I don't need to watch you play Novak Djokovic for four and a half hours. Right. I'm right. quite happy watching you guys play for two. Right. For me, the drama of a Serena Williams Vinci semifinal in three sets Perfect, was right? as exciting Perfect. as any five setter that I've ever watched.
0: Hey, everyone. John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast here with my trusty producer, Jamie Lasanti. We have a return guest, Eric Budorak. But last time we spoke to him, he was merely an outstanding doubles player. I think we got him in Metz, France, where he was playing in the fall of 2015. He is now three days away from starting a new job, a desk job, an office job at the USTA where he'll have a host of duties. So one of my obsession topics is the transition that athletes sometimes make well and sometimes struggle with from a sports career to a conventional career. We're going to talk to Eric about that, about some proposed rule changes, and about his new life. So let's, uh, let's bring him in now. I think he's in a parking lot somewhere in Connecticut. He's really living the suburban life. Eric Buderak, how are you? John, how are you, how you doing, man? Good. I appreciate you doing this. Everything good?
1: i'm doing great i'm honored to be a uh second guest or a callback guest whatever you call that two times
0: you are a uh I, I think you and chris everett are the only people we've had twice how's that for uh how's that for fast yeah Company? but you've had, you've had oh well lindsay had, Lind- had lindsay on a number you know, of times right? lindsay's like uh our cousin sal Lin- lindsay's like john goodman hosting <laughs> saturday night live uh, except Lindsay's uh Sunday picks. I think Lindsay's Sunday picks are better. That's the only difference. Um wh- where are you? Are you uh <laughs> or, or, are you in an office?
1: I am sitting in my car outside Starbucks in Greenwich, Connecticut, my home.
0: Who among us hasn't been there? Not not Greenwich, but a car, <laughs> a car outside Starbucks taking a call. Um but Dequieter thanks for a place to do a radio interview. This is uh this is a little different from where you were and would have been a year ago.
1: Yes, quite differently. Or I think you actually you spoke to me last year in Mets, France. I was yeah, exactly. exactly a year ago.
0: Let's go Mets. Um, right. Now you're uh, now you're hearing about the Mets on ten ten wins. Um, so sure. let, let's start. I mean, let's start talking about that because a year ago we spoke, and you were at the end of uh, you know I, I think you were thinking about. The next step and career 2.0 and what was coming after tennis. This, of course, is a a topic that I am obsessed with. Athletes making that transition. You have made the transition. I'm reading from a release I received mm-hmm. several weeks ago. You ready? Former top I'm 20 ready. doubles player Eric Buterac has been named director, professional tennis operations and player relations, USTA, starting October 2016. We are taping this on what's today, Jamie Lasanti, to our producer. The 29th, you are, uh, by my counts, you're about three days away from joining uh, Desk Job Nation by joining the working world. Um, what, what does this job entail and what's, what's going to happen to your life starting October 2016?
1: Well, my going to be a lot different, but hopefully in a really good way. Um, you know, it officially starts on Monday. However, I've been. Observing the whole second week of the Open, I was in yesterday for a five-hour strategy meeting for you know the future of pro tennis operations and in within the USTA. So I've been really involved the last few weeks, and it's been great. Um, I guess my 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 job description is have a strong hand in all USTA properties. Um, I think my primary focus will be the U.S. Open, making that the you know, the best showcase for tennis in, that it can be and um, obviously assisting a lot with player relations through my player council work. I feel like I have a, a, a good connection with everyone from the top guys like Djokovic and Federer all the way down to the working class and players like myself um, and understanding what their needs are, uh, what they're looking for from not only big events like the U.S. Open, but from things like the pro circuit and how can we help our American players you know, navigate those tricky waters of the futures and Challenger tour, and, and, and from an operation side of things, how can I help um, you know, help the organization assist these players and in getting into the top hundred, top fifty, and beyond?
0: Are you going to be based mostly in, in White Plains, or are you going to keep an office in Florida too?
1: I will be in White Plains. I'm sure I will spend a fair bit of time down um, in Orlando once the once the head of or yeah the home of American Tennis gets up and running. I think January second. But uh, now my office will be in White Plains, and I'll be based mostly in the Northeast
0: up here. You're you're a pragmatic Midwesterner, so I'm sure you have answers here. But I'm always curious. I mean, are are you? Has someone sort of how do you how do you pick up on office life? I mean, you've been a professional athlete, you've been traveling, you've been sort of the CEO of this this one person company, and suddenly it's budget meetings and when do I speak in the meeting and who do I cc on the email? Has someone? Mm-hmm. Helped you prepare you for that or is that something you're going to learn on the fly
1: um no one has directly prepared me for that no um even sitting in some of the meetings in the last week it's been really interesting to understand the dynamics especially with a huge organization like the usda um you know we have a whole new leadership group with with stacy allister um martin blackman Uh, Craig Morris and Community Tennis. So there's some new people within the organization, but there's also a lot of people who have been there for a long time, guys with great institutional knowledge like David Brewer and Brian Early and Jeff Ryan. So it's been interesting for me to watch kind of the two different groups operate and learn a lot from both. Um, I think there's an advantage for for me to be someone coming from the outside. I don't see the organization as siloed in any way. I'm happy to help in – Player development or community tennis, if that's what they want me to do. Um, but also, some of these guys who've been there for such a long time, they have great information for me. So part of it's just observing, sort of it's learning when I can, and um, it'll be a, it'll be a work in progress as I as I move into this new role.
0: But your your first day is Monday, right?
1: First official day is Monday.
0: Tell me you're Jewish. You can have you can have off for a few days. You can start on Wednesday.
1: <laughs> um, no, honestly. Honestly, after a month off away from the tour, I'm ready to get going. I, I don't sit still very well. It's been awesome being home all day with my kids, um, but I, I am I am anxious to get get my hands dirty and get to work as well.
0: Have these rhythms been an adjustment? Of, of you know, you're not having to worry about FaceTiming your kids. You're not having to worry about what's the time difference to uh, Shenzhen, and did Delta get my <laughs> Delta get my upgrade come through? Has this been an adjustment?
1: You know, it's been great so far. Um, and I tell people that, you know, to go back to Mets and Shenzhen and Tokyo for the 10th time, it wasn't the most appealing trip for me. Um, so to be home when I see my friends playing those events, I'm very happy with where I'm at. Um, if we have this phone call again in January when you guys are all down in Melbourne and I'm shoveling snow in Connecticut, it might be a different feeling. But, uh, but right now, it, it's been a really great adjustment into... Into the normal life
0: you're from minnesota i suspect you are an expert snow shoveler <laughs> um we'll have no more mets bashing on this uh podcast by the way but um no but 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 seriously i mean is it is it strange watching these results come on your phone or going online and sort of thinking to yourself boy i a year ago i was in that draw
1: um it is. I had a little preview to it because uh, our second child was born during Wimbledon. So I skipped the whole grass court season this year, which I think for me was a really healthy exercise in what life is going to be like. And that was hard. Um, you know, I was watching teams like Klassen and Ram, who we just beat at the French Open, and they were in the semis of Wimbledon. A team like Mirny and Healy, who we beat two weeks earlier in Estoril, you know, they were in the semis of Wimbledon. And it was just like, wow, that, that could or even should be me. Um so that was hard. I think now, you know, I feel really comfortable with where I'm at. Um, you know, I got a message from Julian Roger today when he was in the airport, and Heathrow just said, hey, man, just, you know, thinking about you and wanted to say what's up. And Bruno Suarez and all these different doubles guys keep me in the loop of, you know, how their matches are going. And, and I feel really good about being a fan and watching those guys play. Um, and not, that's not my life anymore, and that's okay.
0: That sounds very healthy. How did you uh, how did you experience the U.S. Open?
1: How did I experience the U.S. Open this year, as like a player
0: or what? No, no, this year. I mean, um, you know, after for for the second week, you you were there not just as yeah. I mean, you weren't really there as a fan, and you weren't really there as an employee, no. and yet a year from now, this will be something that you'll be taking close notes on. I mean, what what was it like to sort of experience uh, the event that you're going to be a part of shaping next year?
1: So. You know, obviously, I played it 10 times, so I had a really good handle on, you know, what it's like to be as a player. Um, I did spend the second week doing as much observing and learning as I could. Um, I felt like an employee, although I wasn't really doing work as I was just doing research. Right. Um, And so it was great for me to really run through all the different player services organizations, things like practice courts and locker rooms and transportation and food and every little thing that the players experience, but see it from the other side and sit with these staff members and hear about their concerns and how they've been running things and, and actually watch them do their job from behind the desk. Um, and I think that gave me a really great understanding. I'm glad I was able to do that. Um, cause I think now as we, as we move forward, um, for the 2017 opening, open plans, um, you know, we can, you know, slightly enhance these, these different groups and I can, I can relate to these people. Hey, here's what players think, you know, here's what players would like to see done differently. Here's what they love what you're already doing and um, it led to some healthy conversations, and, and hopefully we'll you know, make the Open even even better for 2017.
0: Well, what would players like to see differently? Give us some specifics. What, what kind of things were you hearing?
1: So I think years ago, tournaments were really concerned about players having a good time. You know, tournaments like Miami was really popular and really fun, and Indian Wells was a boring place that no one liked. Um, when it comes to New York City, a lot of times people think, oh, we want to make sure the players have a great experience in Manhattan, that they see a show, that they can go to a nice dinner. To be honest, the mindset of the players changed. Guys are so concerned about their performance on the court that I think as a tournament we need to be solely focused on that. How do we, have enough, how do we provide enough court time for them? How do we have a great gymnasium? How do we have good physiotherapists? How do we have the proper ice baths and recovery areas that players can take care of their on-court performance first and feel good about that. And everything else, I think, is secondary in the player's mind.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, it used to be the tournaments, uh, you know, we had go-kart outing day and everyone got a PlayStation and we had, you know, dirt bikes on site for the players. Do you you think the focus has now turned to much more of the professional amenities?
1: I think so. I think without the best food, without great recovery time, without – proper preparation in terms of practice, players become really stressed. And that stress outweighs any sort of good feelings that you can win over by uh, you know a fun outing. So I think we got to focus on those stressful areas first, and then the, the, the fun can come later.
0: What are your best tips for the players in terms of I, – I always feel like the Open is something that some players really warm to and they love being in, in Manhattan and they, they feed off the chaos and other players never get used to it. And you know, you we were talking on tennis show. We we're talking to Patrick Vidova, who just is very open about the fact that she uh, she can't really deal with uh, New York and the Open. It's just too much. It's like sensory overload. W- what do you tell players about? Um, hmm. what, what would you tell players about sort of how to uh, h- how to make the U.S. Open more tolerable? I don't say tolerable, but you know how you know, to take advantage of it.
1: No, I, I understand your point. Um, it is a lot, and it, it not only is you know so intense with all that comes with it, but it's at the time of the year when you're starting to get a little bit fatigued. You know, we're, we're nine months into our calendar. Our summer season has flowed from the French to Wimbledon straight into a long U.S. hot, hardcore season. So how do you kind of maintain your energy for New York? How I was best able to handle it was to actually get away from Manhattan, um, to stay in a hotel in Queens right near the site, to, to potentially even stay in, in Westchester if need be um for me staying away from kind of the craziness of manhattan while i'm competing and then spend a couple days in proper new york city and enjoy that life once i'm finished you know that was that was my way of handling it but everyone's wired differently you said some people feed off it some people just can't wait to you know that day when they land in manhattan and they walk around and feel the energy but for other people it's a lot of stress so i think you know teach their own but i do think that the idea of grabbing a nice hotel right near the site, making your life really easy and convenient during the tournament, and then go out and have three days of fun in Manhattan once you're
0: done. Once the tournament's over. Yes. What, What do you think of that new grandstand court?
1: I thought they did an unbelievable job. I think players loved it. I think fans loved it. They built some shade. If you sit in the back corner, you get an unbelievable framed view of Arthur Ashe Arena. Um, i think it's going to be a, a gem moving forward um pre-us open i heard so many complaints about the old grandstand coming down and once the new grandstand yeah, was up right. and running i didn't i didn't hear any more was complaints gonna, that, that was it, a they uh, did such a nice job part
0: that's a really good point that, that was a complete non-story i mean you thought there were going to be these ceremonies <laughs> and there was this would be tied into uh how populism has been trumped by revenue you you didn't hear that at all did you
1: Wow. But I also think that that's sort of, that's sort of the future of the U S open. You know, when you think about tennis tournaments and how our calendar works, you know, Wimbledon is tradition. They're everything that's historic. The U S open, you know, this is America. We're new. We're innovative. We're disruptive. You know, yes, we want to hold on to some gems, but Hey, when the old Louis Armstrong becomes outdated and the, the court's not really a great playing surface anymore, let's get it out of there and let's build a new one. You know, that's, for me, I, I would love to see the U.S. Open be like a like a rock concert, like an NBA basketball game. You know that that when people come, they're coming to see a show that's got some tennis involved in, and the highest level of tennis. But it's a it's a whole complete experience,
0: sort of like a Phil Collins show with with tennis tacked on. <laughs>
1: um, you know, but I think I think that's I think that's catering to the the, the New York night crowd. That's, that's what they want to see. They want to see the greatest show on earth.
0: The uh... Speaking of disruption and innovation, I'm going to read you a quote. Tennis must consider shortening <laughs> matches. You get wait. You'll you say tennis must must consider shortening matches in a bid to engage with a younger fan base and avoid losing television viewers, according to former ATP Player Council President and Double specialist Eric Buderak. Do you uh, s- support, defend, modify?
1: So. Yeah, I, I, that was, I think my, my Twitter went absolutely crazy that day because every, you know... Tennis I, I, I was going to say, yeah, I should, I should point sure out, to, that was a two they, weeks ago. They do speak their mind to me um, on, on Twitter, which is fine. Um, I do think we need to look at that. I think that, um, you know, in this modern day and age, attention spans are shorter. If we want to engage with the youth population, which is really important for tennis moving forward, we do need to look at shortening matches. For me, what, as a tennis fan... I said this, you know, to Andy Murray in the locker room. I don't need to watch you play Novak Djokovic for four and a half hours. Right. I'm right. quite happy watching you guys play for two. Right. For me, the drama of a Serena Williams Vinci semifinal in three sets Perfect, was right? as, exciting as, any, as, as exciting as any is as exciting as any five setter that I've ever watched. So I don't see the need for it personally. However, I don't think we should make radical changes with the US Open just because I have an opinion. I think that we need to do some research. We need to understand what fans really want, and then, and and I've said this before too. I, w- I would love to hear from all fans. You can, you know, you know, write me on Twitter at gbooterak. Write me an email at booterak at USTA.com and and tell me what you guys want to see because I do want to know, and I want to hear from everyone, especially the kids. You know, I want to know what they want to see for our sport as we as we move forward.
0: You think the way to sh- I'm I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, and I would add that. Players' health would also would also benefit from shortening matches, but um, you think you think sets is the way to do it? I mean, you don't you don't want to play four game sets, no. or you don't want to do no ad scoring or no lead. I mean, whatever you you think just chopping sets is the way to do it?
1: Well, I mean that's so back to the player's health question. Absolutely, and and you know I think we said this when we saw each other on the tennis channel set that I, I want to see make sure that it's a tennis match with a huge athletic component to it. And not an Iron Man exactly. competition, which exactly. is sometimes what I feel like we're experienced here is, like, who's the last man standing? Right. Literally. Um, and I don't want it to turn into that. Literally, yes. So, this, yes, I mean, I think as an excitement, yes, if you shorten every set to the Fast Four format, which Craig Tiley in Australia is such a big fan of, and I get that. That's now, however, a radical change for our sport, as we talk about, you know, the people who are playing in parks and juniors playing tournaments. Just the whole world shift to four games. That's that's a huge change. Um, do you really
0: think? I mean, but, people but said that. Do you really think but it so? But doesn't mean
1: wrong? That it's
0: wrong. But also, Neither. like
1: in the grand scheme
0: of things, if, if you started telling me the dimensions were going to change or the net was going to get right, but I, I've heard the same thing, and I'm thinking, you know, NBA added a line that changed the scoring, and a long shot now counted for three points. That that's fairly radical. Is mm-hmm. is you, you really think that shortening sets to four games is that big a change? Um, and the rules haven't no, changed. No, I guess, I guess the,
1: compared to something like that, absolutely not.
0: You're right. Um, yeah, I, I Answer this question, too, because I, I don't know if I should... Uh, I'll just say a friend who is a, uh, a well-regarded former player, and I had a, a protracted debate about this. And he basically said, when the players start complaining about the matches being too long and there being too many injuries, then I'll listen. But... Basically, as long as the, as long as the players don't argue with the format and they're okay playing four and a half hour matches in best of five, t- to me, uh, to me, it's a moot point basically. Until the till the players start voicing their displeasure, why do you think play? I mean, given how prominent a role injuries have become, given the fact that nobody's saying anyone should take a wage hit. I mean, it would only help their economics. The prize money would stay the same, and they, in theory, would play more matches because they'd be healthier. Why haven't the players been more vocal about shortening basically their shifts?
1: That's a good question. I mean, first of all, I actually kind of disagree with that comment because I think in the business of sports entertainment, you know, we do cater to our fans. So as much as if players want a thing a certain way, we need, to, we need to see what fans want to watch us do and, right. and find some happy meeting between those two. So I think that I, I disagree with that same in the first place. However, you're right. Players do not complain that much about three out of five. Um, I think a lot of the top players have really built their games around physical fitness. People like Novak and Andy Murray, who are just absolute animals when it comes to fitness and their ability to, to win you know, these long matches. So, but I, you know, you're right, and, and I haven't heard much complaining, so, so I don't know that it is a jujitsu issue with players, but I do think they would be surprised at how long their careers would be prolonged you know, by extending, this, you look at, like, doubles by shortening these matches right, from right. a full three sets to a two set and a tiebreaker, now we got Daniel Nestor at, like, age 44, still in the top 20. I'm like, I'm not so sure that Daniel could have done that in the full three sets format. So, I mean, if we want to keep Federer around, we want to keep Andy Murray around, we we'll keep Novak and Rafa around for a long time, I'm not, you know, I think that they would be surprised how much longer they might last with a, a two out of three grand slam format. I'm but, totally with
0: you. Who knows? Well, I, I mean, I think part of this too is just I think I think you raise a good point that look, if you if the players said, "Hey, listen, the ball should bounce twice, you don't just say, "Oh, sure, the pl- that's what the players want." I mean, they should be part of the discussion, but they shouldn't be the only part. But the other thing, too, is that if you look at any format, if you look at any context, the people at the top don't want to change anything, right? I mean, if your your kid gets into Harvard, you're thrilled with their admissions process. If you're in, in the top one percent, you're thrilled with the tax code, or or maybe not. But I mean, I think I think saying the top players don't want to change it is sort of it, it's it's almost circular. Of course they don't. Everything's going great for them. Why why would they want a format change that might advantage the other players? Anyway, um, all this right, is let's, where let's, you know
1: they uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, those no, I mean, were move No, I are right.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say we, we could we could spend hours discussing this, but I but I'm totally with you. I mean, I I think that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just crazy. I mean, I don't. I don't want to watch a four and a half hour movie. I don't want to watch a four and a half hour concert. It's just completely counter to uh, to the times. But um, anyway, all right. Let's do a little role play. We're gonna mix things up. You you and I are at a cocktail party, and I hear what you do, and I say, you know, I used to love tennis. We had McEnroe and Connors, but a lot of these guys now, I just I just can't get into the sport anymore. It kind of lost me. What are your I get that all the time. I suspect you do too. What's what's your uh what's what's your response when someone says that to you?
1: <laughs> so I was at a cocktail party in Greenwich recently. Someone said that exact thing to me and that's I said, that's, that's, that's redundant by the like, way. Said,
0: Greenwich is a cocktail party. <laughs> I
1: said, You used, I said, You used to like McEnroe. I said, What do you think about Nick Curios?" And he said, Ah, he's a jerk. I said, Well what do you what do you think McEnroe was, <laughs> right. was saying? You know, there's these people that look back at John McEnroe's career with these rose-colored glasses and think that he was this, like, saint who then just threw these tirades, which were, like, enjoyable to watch. And it's like, whenever we do have someone who throws some bit of a tirade, people get so upset. So, first of all, yeah, I think social media has got a huge part of it, right? Now, if you do anything wrong, it's blasted over the internet. People have agents who are trying to keep them in line all the time. So there are less characters than there used to be. But when we do have one, people say they want it, but I'm not so sure that they do.
0: Um, I, I would contend that we like we like Monfils. We, we like characters. Um, you, I, I would not, Bernie Tomick would qualify as a character. I'm not sure what, what he does is appropriate. But no, I, I, I agree completely. And I, I don't know how much of this, too, is... Is it an American thing? Is it the fact that everyone, oh, you know, McEnroe grew up in New York and spent time at Stanford, and you could always watch him in your time zone, and he probably came to your community in a way that Nick Kyrgios is a bit less of a known quantity. But um, I, I find myself in that discussion all the time, and you sort of think back, and you, you like the sport when it was Connors, McEnroe, Stasi, but when it's Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray— it's lost you. Um, I, I never quite know how to respond I to that without think, being judgmental. I think
1: it's more of an. I think it's more of an American thing than it is, you know, even the craziness of McEnroe. So, like, I think if Francis TFO went to number one in the world, you know, this guy's one of the more charismatic kids I've ever met. He's right. Like, he's got this unbelievable ear-to-ear smile. He's got this story where he, his father was the janitor of the, you know, Maryland Tennessee in a center, uh, you know, and that's how he started tennis. Like, it's just unbelievable story. He's a great kid. Like, if that kid went to number one, I think tennis in America would blow up again. It's just more of that kind of grabbing onto someone that's like local as much as it is like McEnroe's craziness. Good point. Um, all right. Sp- spe- someone said I
0: need to do more speed rounds. So I'm trying to include these. You, re- you ready for a speed round? <laughs> okay. Let's yeah. do it. Andy Roddick, Hall of Fame? Yes or no?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: It's an even game in the fourth set of a men's Grand Slam final. I I call the trainer, acceptable or line cross.
1: It's an even game, so like, the, I don't let's like to say call it right hypothetically. Let's say three one.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna say the opponent's about it's to 3-1. serve. 3-1 in the.
1: Uh, I don't like it. You don't like it. Okay, this is tough. I mean, the I, speed round, it's tough. So if someone has a visible injury that happens on the spot and you call the trainer, fine. When you have a lingering injury for like a multiple game, and then you decide to call the trainer before your opponent's about to serve, I don't love that.
0: There, there's a specific example I could cite, but uh, I, I appreciate your yes. keeping this generic. Yes. Uh, wild, card, <laughs> wild cards, uh, how do you feel about the whole wild card game? Pla- players whose ranking is okay insu- even, my my ranking is insufficient uh, to earn this spot. Eric Buderak has gotten in on his own merits, but I'm the local kid and the promoter likes me. Buderak, you go to the quali draw. I- I'm going to get a main draw spot. You're okay with that?
1: I like it. Yep.
0: Tur- tournaments tournaments need that uh, that card to play
1: basically. Yep. Tournaments need it. Uh, players need it. I think it's good for the game. You don't want to have the draw filled with them, but I think we're at the the right amount.
0: You mentioned the U- U.S. Open players. I come do not. In... Sorry, I do no, not think
1: I do not think that Juan Martín del Potro should have had to qualify. for this Yeah, season. exactly. I mean that's
0: that's the uh, right. I mean that's the argument <laughs> in, in favor. That would have been a great free session, though. Um, <laughs> what do we do? Uh, you mentioned the U.S. Open. The players are already. You mentioned that the players are tired coming into the U.S. Open. They've played a lot of tennis. It's the fourth major. That, that was almost a month ago, though. What what do we do about the fall schedule? I mean, it, I think there's a, a sense, and we've seen, you know, we, we saw Serena hasn't played since the Open, and who knows if she's going to play again this year. Djokovic, if I were laying odds, I don't know if we'll see him before London. What do we do about this point in the schedule when there's points and prize money and markets and tournaments have made a commitment, but... You just sort of understand the rhythms of the sport, and it's hard to get too jazzed about October tennis. What do we do about that?
1: Um, I don't know because we've also proven that if we take tennis away from people, for instance, when Adam Helfand, the CEO, shortened the, the ATP schedule by two weeks, which I thought was a great idea for player health, right. there were more special events like the IPTL created. Anytime players have a week off, their agents are out, you know, putting putting together a exhibition match in some foreign land to make some money. So at the end of the day, I feel like players are gonna play. And so we may as well let them play on the, the ATP or WTA calendar.
0: Labor Cup. Possible Davis Cup alternative slash replacement or IPTL European division?
1: Um definitely we'll start off as the IPTL. European division and has potential to push the Davis Cup to do something more radical because they don't seem to want to do it on their own.
0: Good answer. Are you, are you allowed to talk about your former uh, colleagues now? Give give us your five favorite players to watch now that they're uh, no longer active colleagues.
1: My five favorite players to watch? Jeez, um, like off the top of my head. I mean, I at the end of the day, you, start, you just want to watch your friends play um i mean i'll watch federer play in day of the week because it's just like got this little moment of greatness that i feel like i'm going to look back in 30 years and tell my grandkids that i got to play while he played um on the women's game i love watching bethany maddox sams i love her doubles i love the way she like competes and plays like a physical brand of tennis um yeah. in men's doubles um you know Ex-partner of mine, Julian Rogier. guy's one of the most competitive guys I've ever seen. Like, I know that if I ever go watch him play, he'll be so intense. Um, I'm drawn to these young Americans. I love watching TFO, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, rallyo Pelka. They're really good kids. I'm excited to watch them compete. Um, those, are some, those are some highlights that, like, if I look at a Grand Slam draw, you know, when you're in the locker room and you're like, where should I go? Those would be some places that I might gravitate.
0: You mentioned women's tennis on your own. You mentioned young Americans on your own. You mentioned doubles on your own. No prodding. I think you are going to make this transition to office life just fine. That was, uh, that, was that was a good political <laughs> Well, I like, I,
1: like, I like a little bit of everything. I mean, it's just, it's Got just a little Minnesota I've, I've a lot of friends on the women's tour. I really I really enjoy watching them play as well.
0: Doesn't Bethany Maddox-Sands undercut your claims to being the best player from Minnesota, though?
1: She's actually from Rochester, Minnesota. My dad was our first tennis coach. So not only does she cut me in Minnesota, she cuts me into my hometown oh, of population know. eighty thousand people.
0: No shit, I didn't know. Your dad taught her tennis. I did yeah, not know. Yeah, that. he was her I,
1: first tennis coach. I did not know yeah. that. Um, and right. Marty Fish is from Minnesota, so I really got no shot anyway. So if you really dig into those Minnesota born, I'm I'm deep on the depth charts.
0: The uh that's that's a good roster for uh something other than a tennis hotbed in terms of climate, if nothing else yeah so uh all right we've hit our half hour mark you're you're starting work on uh on monday best of uh best of luck with that seriously they're uh they're they're lucky to have you you, and it sounds like uh it sounds like you've got a real plan of action the um all right let's let's check uh let's check in again before the end of the year we'll make you a three-time guest but uh i'm I'm curious how (laughs) everything from finding the parking spot to what happens when the vending machine eats your bill it's like Dunder Mifflin. Uh, it's like Dunder Mifflin tennis version. But um, seriously, good good luck with this new job. And uh, that was fun. Let's we'll, we'll do see us again soon.
1: Honestly, I'm I'm honored to be offered. I, I thought being a washed up tennis player, people would forget about me quickly. So to get to get this phone call made my day. Thanks, oh, stuff.
0: Glad you're still in the game. Watch that I ninety five traffic though. Give yourself an extra ten minutes, especially your especially your first day.
1: Oh, <laughs> sounds good. All right.
0: Take care. Thanks, Eric. That was fun.
1: Bye.
0: Bye, John. All right. That was Eric Bouderak. As you could tell, one of the good guys in tennis. A pity he's no longer playing doubles on the ATP, but he'll remain in the sport, and the sport is lucky to have his presence. Um that'll do it for this week. That was a lot of fun. Again, if you did you catch Eric's email, I believe it was is that right, Jamie? Bouderac at USTA dot com. He wants to hear about what you think about tennis, he clearly is soliciting opinions from fans. I'd encourage you to be in touch with him either by email or Twitter. Twitter probably better, in fact, but we appreciated his visiting with us. That will do it for this week. Jamie Lasanti, is always, is our producer. Keep the suggestions coming. We have a number of guests lined up for the next few weeks, but we're always happy to hear from you. Feedback, constructive criticism, the uh, audio quality may have been a little lacking. We apologize for that, but that's what happens when you use... The Starbucks parking lot in Greenwich, Connecticut. Next week, we'll have a new guest. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm John Wertheim. That was Eric Buderak as our guest. Jamie Lasanti, as always, is our producer. Have a good week. We'll do it again in seven days.